You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Here's an interesting little thing that came out last week. Uh, two researchers, Dr. Alexander Alvern and Verpa Luma from the University of Sheffield in the United Kingdom, released a study uh, about contraception and mate choice in females. The pill, oral contraceptive, uh, hormonal contraceptive, suppresses ovulation. And everybody knows, or it's been documented, that women, when they're ovulating, are attracted to different types of men. Uh, more masculine men, more Cro-Magnum-y types, uh, hunkier, lunkier, uh, more knuckle-draggy guys, right? But when they're not ovulating, they're attracted to basically swishy bitches, right? Uh, more effeminate guys. And they think this might be a problem uh, for marital harmony and for evolution because, uh, you know, women are mostly in the West now on the pill while they're dating, and selecting mates, and then they bag some guy, marry some guy, and go off the pill because they want to get pregnant, and suddenly they realize that they're not attracted to the pansy-ass wish that they married, that they wish they married the NFL guy uh, who they ran from when they were on the pill. And the other sort of evolutionary component of this study that's really interesting, and they say it needs more study. They're not telling women to go off the pill for fear they marry some uh, Ted Haggard they're not actually attracted to. What's really interesting is uh, this element of uh, the suppression of ovulation, that women are attracted when they're not ovulating to guys who are more genetically similar. And when they are ovulating, they're attracted to guys who are more genetically dissimilar. And the, you know, the more genetic diversity or dissimilarity, the better when it comes to mating humans. And they think that you know over – Many, 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 many generations. This could have evolutionary consequences for us. Very disturbing. But you might want to Google that, particularly if you're on the pill and engaged to be married. You know, I think you should err on the side of caution. And if you're engaged to be married, you should go off the fucking pill for a couple of months just to make sure that uh, once you go off the pill, once you're legally hitched, that this is a guy whose dick you want to suck for the rest of your life. Uh, okay, I was about to go to your calls when the tech heavy at risk started going, <coughs> bullshit, bullshit, and coughing. Uh, they think it's dubious scientifically. The tech-savvy at-risk youth who cannot speak for themselves, I can only speak for them because they are powerless. They think it's just another attempt to terrify women about their sexuality and their sexual choices. And that may be true. I would point out that both the researchers are ladies. And they had very good things to say about the pill in their study. And I'm just going to quote at length. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're not anti-pill activists. They're not these religious right fundies who are marching against the pill, which is actually happening. Uh, they write, any such effects, this evolutionary thing, this mate selection thing, should be weighed against the multiple benefits that the invention of the pill has brought. The revolutionary contraceptive method has given women unprecedented control over their fertility with the possibility to sample different partners before reproduction, to control their number of children, to reach optimal birth spacing given circumstances, or to end reproductive career before menopause if desired. And this has had considerable impact on women's social lives, they write. For instance, a sharp increase in college attendance and graduation rates for women was observed after the pill was legalized. So these aren't anti-pill psycho-crusaders who are trying to make women go off the pill and get barefoot and pregnant faster or marry off Cro-Magnum men. Their hearts are in the right places. They're just concerned for your evolutionary future.
This episode is brought to you by DigitalDesire.com, the high-end erotic website that's a cut above the rest. Featuring breathtaking girls from around the world, expertly captured in arousing and artistic videos and photos. Visit DigitalDesire.com savage today for a special trial offer. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, uh, I'm a 17-year-old girl, and I'm going to be going to college next year. I'm dating a guy who's one grade below me in school, so when I leave, he's going to be staying home. We just had a conversation about what we're going to do when I leave home, and he thinks it would be best to agree now to break up when I leave because waiting until, you know, the relationship just ends because we never see each other would be even more painful. Now, I realize that we're not going to get married, and we probably will break up sometime in the next four years, but I don't want to throw out a healthy relationship just because it might go bad eventually sometime in the future. And I, I think that, you know, we already have a lot of intimate conversations over the phone because... We can't talk about that kind of thing in public. We don't, we're not really alone very often. So it seems to me that a long-distance relationship wouldn't be so bad. But it is kind of inherently uneven because I'm going to be at college where, you know, I could be having sex or dating all kinds of people and he wouldn't know about it. And I kind of find the idea appealing, but... I also really don't want to lose our emotional connection. I I don't know what to do. I don't want to throw this out for no good reason, but I it doesn't seem like we can stay together when I go to college. It seems like there's no good option. It may seem to you that being in an LDR might not be so bad, but what's at issue here is how it seems to him. And I don't think he wants to be in a long-distance relationship, and you can't compel him to be in a long-distance relationship. He doesn't need your permission uh, to end this. And it seems pretty clear that this is drawing to a conclusion, your high school relationship. Maybe you guys can pick up the thread later. You can certainly stay in touch. But I think your claim on him uh, is over, and you need to graciously and like an adult, like the college-age woman that you are, uh, accept the inevitable and end this. I am calling because I've recently been dating a guy and um, we hit it off really well from the beginning. We definitely have a very good intellectual relationship and um, we can stay up late into the night just talking and it's really good. And we fooled around a little bit mostly made out because when we start going at it, there's concern about his dick. Um, I think that, I don't know, I can't feel it ever. Um, it's Maybe it's tiny. I don't know. Like, I've never messed around with a guy and been so like dry humping going at it and never felt anything at all. So I'm thinking maybe this guy has like the smallest dick ever. Maybe he doesn't have a dick. Maybe he's a tranny. I have no idea, but I'm just wondering... Should I just go for it? I mean, now I'm a little, like, timid about it because I'm like, what's going on down there? And honestly, I don't know, already I'm like, oh, he must be really sensitive because he doesn't have a dick. I assume he's a pussy. And um, 
I don't know. I'm wondering, what do you know about dudes with tiny dicks? And that's the other thing. I'm like, is it even worth it? Should I go for it if I'm going to be, like, fucking a pencil? Um, well, it's not even long. I don't feel anything. Um, but anyways, I, I'm just wondering, what would you do in that experience? And, um, yeah, what do you know about, I don't know, training? All will be revealed when you see him with his pants off, so long as you keep the lights on. What do I know about dudes with tiny dicks? I know that the partners of men with very small penises, some studies refer to them as micro penises, cruelly enough, report higher levels of sexual satisfaction than the partners of men with average or above average penises. Now, why is that? Um, it isn't because none of them are size queens. Uh, it's often because men with smaller penises make an extra effort to be good at other stuff that might be just as pleasing. Uh, oral intercourse, uh, using toys, uh, however small his penis is, I assure you his forearm is large enough. Good luck. Hello, yes, Dan, my name is Arthur. I'm a 24-year-old ma straight male. Um, I had a question. My question involves, um, on a few of your earlier podcasts, you had mentioned... Uh, possibly seeing sex, wor sex workers to relieve some of the stress that you may have and sexual frustration. I think it's a wonderful idea, but I was wondering, I know that there are ways where you can mitigate the risk of catching sexually transmitted diseases by practicing safe sex, but I was wondering if there's any way to mitigate the inherent danger in, uh, and legal repercussions in searching for sex workers. Like, I know that you can search for Craigslist or look on you know, weekly periodicals for ads and whatnot, but is there any real way to be 100% safe with trying to find somebody? If you're looking for sex workers right now, I would stay the hell away from Craigslist. Every day, you can read a story uh, online, Google News, wherever, about the police uh, busting guys, putting ads out on Craigslist, uh, and busting the men who respond. If you want to mitigate the inherent dangers in... Uh, employing sex workers, what you need to do is go to the message boards and the websites where sex workers are reviewed, go to an established sex worker who has a track record, who has many positive reviews online, that sort of stuff the police can't fake in one single Craigslist ad. You're going to pay more for those kinds of sex workers, but really, aren't you worth it? Isn't the security worth it? And finally, if you really want to mitigate the inherent dangers of seeing sex workers, you need to find a sex worker who uh, you, you find attractive, whose bedside manner appeals to you, uh, who's skilled, uh, and who you feel you can trust and uh, become a regular, become a dependable client, become a respectful, always uh, good with the personal hygiene, tips well client, and see her exclusively. And then you have really eliminated the dangers of uh, being swept up in a police sting. Good luck. Hi, Dan. This is Julie. I am a sex educator here in town. And one of the students that I work with at the university, which I won't name, um, is getting fairly into exploring her submissive side, which I'm totally supportive of. When she applied to be a part of my program, she came in and did a little demo of rope bondage, and, you know, I think it's adorable. But she's like 19, and she came into my office last week and told me that she had found a guy online that she was going to try to play with. They were going to meet up and... You know, she was going to see she could play with someone who could be, who could dominate her. And I was like, great, that sounds awesome. And I asked her to tell me a little bit about him because he was coming in from Houston, which is a few hours away. And that, to me, says, like, clearly someone who assumes that they are going to play together. You know, I wouldn't travel three hours if it wasn't a sure thing. Um, and she said that 
on his profile, uh, I, I didn't get whatever site it was, he said that his, among his interests were making women feel like they were going to die. <laughs> and that's what she said. And that he was into things like waterboarding and playing with razor blades. And I'm pretty GGG and, you know, not personally into like BDSM stuff, but totally supportive of it, particularly in the context of the organized community and clubs and that kind of thing. But as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, my God, serial killer, serial killer. <laughs> so I told her um, to ask him for references, figuring that if he was someone with a reputation for being able to do this edge stuff responsibly, there would be people who would attest to that and that if he balked, that that was a bad sign. So she told me today that she asked him and he balked. <laughs> um, but they want to meet, like, on Thursday. And, I mean, I feel like I need to chaperone her on this date. I'm absolutely terrified. Um, can you give me a sense of whether I just have unreasonable, like, mom bells going off? Um, but the idea of it just makes me really nervous. Does anyone ever press pound for more options? That's what I want to know. Um, hey, I usually don't leave messages or record myself leaving messages for people, but I have to because uh, by the time this podcast airs, it'll be too late for your stupid friend. Anybody uh, with any sense would tell her not to meet these, this guy under these circumstances. Uh, it's generally a bad idea when you're meeting people off the Internet to meet the first time with an expectation uh, to play or to have sex, particularly if you're a woman, because uh, men are dangerous and violent, more dangerous and violent than women. Uh, and particularly then, you know, double, that goes double if there's an expectation of BDSM or someone making you fear for your life. You know, this girl is uh, an adult. She can do what she wants, but what she's about to do is insanely stupid, and it is really your job to slap some sense into her, to intervene, to insist that you're going with her, and to impress upon her how fucking stupid this is, how dangerous this is. If this guy were a trustworthy, honest player in the BDSM community, he would not balk at giving her references. He would not balk at providing her with his real name, his real occupation, work and home phone numbers, and references again. Uh, if he won't do any of that, she shouldn't meet him. Period. End of discussion. And it's your job as chaperone and friend to get up in her grill about it and head this thing off at the pass. Do you love the sensual beauty of a stunning nude woman? Then DigitalDesire.com is the destination for you, a high-end erotic website like no other. Digital Desire features breathtaking girls from around the world, expertly captured in arousing and artistic HD videos and high-resolution photos. Visit DigitalDesire.com slash savage today for your exclusive discount offer and an extensive free tour. A fresh new take on erotica awaits you. Hi, Dan. I'm a female in her mid-20s in a relationship with a married couple in their early 30s. Um, this relationship evolved from what I imagined would be a fun and brief series of hookups between myself and the husband with his wife's full consent. But these hookups became regular, and I began spending time with his wife as well, and the relationship took on three parties. I'm really happy in this relationship. Um, I feel very fulfilled by them both, and I enjoy every interaction I have with them, both together and individually. Um, this has been going on between myself and the husband for four months and began involving his wife one month ago. My question to you is this. Because I didn't think I would be entering into a relationship at all, much less with two people, 
I shared very limited information with my mother regarding my interactions with the husband. Uh, what I'm telling you is that I, I told her I was going to see a friend at first because they live two hours away, which turned into going to see a boyfriend. Now she knows I have a boyfriend. She does not know he has a wife. I'm very close with my mother, and it is important to me to have her involved in my life. I'm worried that she will be hurt that I didn't tell her sooner, but I've been trying to make sure that this is something that will be sustainable for the foreseeable future before I told her anything. What advice do you have about telling her about my relationship? So this triad is all of four weeks old, and you want to tell mom about it? Well, the... The situation's been going on for four months. Right. But she just entered the picture, like, full force. Four weeks ago. Uh, like, five weeks, yeah. Seems a little soon to tell mom uh, that you're, you know, one leg of a three-legged stool. Uh, my old rule of thumb in telling my mom about my relationships was, like, six months at least before I burdened her with, you know, some new dude, dude's name that she had to remember. And... and I, you know, it sounds like you have one of those relationships with your mother that sound, you know, that's in the deposition mode where it's full disclosure all the time under penalties of perjury. But sort of, yeah. No one would blame you for hanging back and making sure that this is something real and lasting. You know, you're four weeks into this relationship with her. Maybe she's completely fucking psychotic, and uh, you know, two weeks from now or a month from now, she's going to flip. Right. <laughs> and it's all going to end. And then you will have gone, had to have gone to your mother and disclosed this shit that your mother may not have wanted to know. You know, one of the things my mother always used to say was there are things that a mother has a right not to know. Sure. And I'm not saying that people in, you know, polyamorous relationships and blah, blah, blah shouldn't burden their parents with that information or be open and honest about their lives. I, I think they should. But, you know, you, you pick your battles with your parents. There's a time and a place. You know, I didn't tell my mom I was gay when I was 12 and 13 because the question wasn't really called in the same way it was when I was uh, a senior in high school and starting to fuck. Then I really sure. had to tell her because it was going to come out some other way. You know, I had to be open with her uh, and run her on the need-to-know basis, which is how we run our parents about our sexualities. And how our parents run them, run us about their sexualities. Your mother was fucking some married guy with a wife and... Having three ways and rolling around a bed, would you want her to tell you at four weeks? Right, true. I, I feel like I'm lying to her, though, when I talk. I mean, because she knows about him, so she asks me questions about him. That's fine. You're, t you're just omitting. That's not an active lie. Okay. You know, she asked me questions about him, and I haven't told her. You haven't filled her in entirely yet, but you don't need to quite yet. Okay, so I have the right to not feel guilty. You that have the right to not feel guilty. You have the right to not tell your parents anything about your sex life, I believe, beyond, you know, the general outline of who you want to fuck. Right. Which means straight, gay, or bi. But beyond that, you you know, your parents don't have a right to tons of information about your sex life or, or your intimate life until such a time comes as... You know, they, they kind of need more information. Like, Mom, this is the guy I'm moving in with. Mom, this is my fiancé. Mom... I'm having babies with this dude. Mom, you know right. what? That my boyfriend is a married man and I'm and you know, I'm involved with them as a couple now and we're sort of a triad now. And here's a book about polyamory. I think that's something you could tell her at 6 months. Mhm. Mm and it would be more considerate to tell her at 6 okay. months than it would be to tell her now. 
Do you have a suggestion about um, a good book that I might be able to give her at six months when I do decide to tell her? Yeah, the Old Testament. There's a lot of polyamorous <laughs> relationships in the Old Testament, a lot of dudes with seven or eight hundred wives. It's a very traditional <laughs> marriage you're embarking on. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff written out there about poly. I'd go to Cleese Press and see what they've got, um, and I would just search uh, polyamory and go to the message boards uh, and uh, ask for advice. When the time comes to disclose, it's too soon. And I'm not saying this to shame. You know, your mom knows you're straight. Your mom knows you sleep with dudes. Does your mom know you? Are you sleeping with her? Yeah. Okay. Well, does your mom know you're bi? Um, she knows I've slept with women. I'm not really sure. You, I you, you disclosed label. everything that you are required to disclose at this juncture. Okay. You're four weeks in. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. You're welcome. Bye. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm a 26-year-old female, straight female, who lives in a big city. Um, and I have this problem that may not be so much a problem with some people. It might be sort of irritating or obnoxious to some, but I'm a pretty small Statured girl who happens to have a pretty large rack, um, you know, big boobs, natural, um, a little frame, and boo hoo hoo. Yeah, I have this problem. I know a lot of people might think it's not, but I feel like you know because of that, I, I'm often introduced or often immediately associated with my tits. You know, like here they come before my face, literally and figuratively, blah, 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 all this sort of thing. Um, and that wouldn't be a problem for me, um, except, and it hadn't been a problem for me for a really long time because I just chalk it up to guys checking out my tits all the time to, okay, this isn't the guy for me. If he wants to just, just look at my tits, then he's not the guy for me. I mean, obviously, sure, it's the future of me, that I'm proud of in a lot of ways. But lately I feel like it's been a hindrance because the guys that I seem to be meeting recently is that's all they see. But any sort of way that I can frame this in my mind of how to when when I meet a guy or meet a girl that is just clearly checking out I'm blatantly checking out my boobs when they're talking to me. Um I might not be interested in them because of that, but how not to just be so disgusted with them by that. Um, how to frame that in my mind to be A, polite, and be um, okay with how I feel about myself because it sort of just skews me out and makes me feel a little bit cheap. Um, I feel like because I'm a little girl with big boobs that I feel... Like, I'm A, labeled as a cheap, nasty thing. So listen, you've internalized this cultural shit about your breasts that you need to 
de-internalize. <laughs> you need to unpack oh, yeah. and throw away. You are not cheap, and you have a nice rack, and you attract the attention of guys. It's a secondary sex characteristic. It could be worse. You could have a big red butt like a baboon. Um, well, yeah. A nice rack, right? And you yeah, I the do. I... Of guys who are assholes, some of them, but some of them aren't. And your job as the possessor of the nice rack is to learn to separate men into those two camps and not to presume just because a guy notices your rack that he must be an asshole who treats you like something cheap and nasty and then you somehow leap to feeling cheap and nasty. Right. You need to, you know that that's the, the, the sort of uh, mental dynamic going on, and you need to check yourself when you start to fall down the yeah. hole and say, I'm not being rational, I'm going to back the fuck up, and I'm going to give this guy, if he's not being an asshole about it, uh, a break, or the benefit of right. the doubt. You know, you can't help but guys noticing your act. Yeah, I guess, I guess the other thing is that maybe it's um, not just guys, but even the opposite side of it, like women... It almost seems like, um, I don't feel like I'm completely making this up, but um, if, if, you know, if, a, if a, girl, a girl with, like, tiny, with tiny tits, you know, is wearing, like, a tight shirt, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's no big deal. But, if, you know, I feel like you can't wear certain things, or if you or if you just wear normal things, it's almost as if you're, oh, you're slutty, showing them off or you something. You can wear whatever you want. Of course, of course I can. Of course you, you know, can. And uh, you need to not worry about what other people are thinking. And you need okay. to not invest yourself in, in, in their thought process. You have naturally large breasts, and you uh, will attract a certain amount of attention over the right. course of your you know, life because of it. And, and it's yours to do with that attention whatever you care to do. You can disqualify guys out of the gate if they notice your rack. Or you can separate them into two camps and you can tell bitches who are jealous or who think you're dressing in a certain <laughs> way to fuck the fuck off because it's not, you know, this is your body and there's nothing you can do about it. You can get breast reduction right. surgery. I mean, you could do something about it and lose yeah, breast sensation and nipple yeah. sensation. Nah, not, not, not a good plan right now. Yeah, that's not a price you're willing to pay, I hope. Right, no. You know, think of, no. you know, all the, you know, Asian guys who are gay out there who I've talked to on the show. Oh, God, yeah. Who, you know, the guys who are attracted to them, a bunch of them are rice queens who are just fetishizing them for their race and can't see them as people, but not all of them. And they have to learn to, like, figure out which is which. The guys who are gay who are Asian have to learn that, you know, some guys are going to fetishize them for their race and not see them as fully human, but other guys who are, you know, as attracted to Asians as the guys who can't see them as fully human, or perhaps even only attracted to Asians also are capable of seeing them as human. Same thing goes for you. You're always going to attract guys into big tits. Right. Right? Because you got big tits, and it's going right. to draw the eye. You don't want to be with a guy who only likes women with tiny, tiny breasts. True. Right? True. You want somebody yeah, to put it. Yeah. your body for what it is and what you got, not someone who's fucking you despite your body. Whatever. Yeah. But you True. need to, like, look at the guy and say... I'm not just my breasts, and if you're perceiving me as just my breasts, eh, you are never going to get to touch my breasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good, good way to put it. It's power, and it's yours. Yeah, that's true. I and could just reframe it in my mind. You can reframe it in your mind, and you have to reach into your mind and rip out this bullshit that there's something wrong with you because you have big breasts and attract some unwelcome attention from guys who are assholes. Right. Period. The end. You're not cheap and nasty because the guys treat you that way. They're cheap and nasty because they treat you that way. Right. You're right. I know that. I know that. It's just sometimes, you know, 
you know, get you have to riled up and infuriated. Them being you know? blue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And when they throw yeah, that exactly. horrible sort of those cultural nasty look yeah. at you you need to let it bounce right off you and stick to them because it's their problem, not yours. And if you tell yourself that often enough, if you act like that often enough, you will eventually come to believe it. Okay, well, thanks so much. You're welcome, and uh, All right. good luck. Hey, Dan, I'm uh, 40 years old, straight, divorced. I have no kids. I've been uh, with a girl, a fantastic girl, the last four years. Um, she's got a couple kids in her teens. And I need some serious advice on how to handle an incredibly awkward conversation. A friend of mine from high school who is approaching 40, just about there, um, contacted me last year to say that she wanted me to be a sperm donor for her if she was not in a known relationship at the time of her 40th birthday. She wants it because she's terrific with kids. Downside is um, I did not tell my girlfriend at the time last year when this subject was first posed because uh, it was following my dad's advice. Don't go there until you get there. I figured why open up a can of worms about hypothetical. Well, went out with this girl from high school uh, last Wednesday. We had dinner, nice conversation. It's not hypothetical anymore. And she's still up for it. I'm very much up for it. I don't know how I broached this with my girlfriend because this is a big deal and this is not something I'm inclined to keep secret. Um, I have uh, three conditions. One is that I sign away all rights just so that um, my friend from high school knows that I'm not going to get whacked out in a couple of years and try to steal her kid. Second is I told my parents about it because I owe everything to my parents and they need to know that they have grandkids. But the third is that I have to tell my girlfriend because we're close. I mean, we're in a long-term committed relationship and uh, this is a big deal. But I can't figure out how to have that conversation without just completely fucking it up. It's got to be weird, but I'm looking for some way to bring this up, say, hey, you know what? It's a good friend. She's going to be terrific with kids. I want to be there to provide the sperm. And also, to be honest about the selfishness of it, because there's an unbroken lineage from the first amoeba to me, and I have no kids right now, and that makes me the weak link. And um, now I have an out. I have the ability to pass along to the next generation without too much bother. Some bombshells just got to drop, and there's no way to gently lower them to the ground. Uh, you should go to the girlfriend and say what you've said. All of your reasons for wanting to do this are perfectly valid. What you have to face up to is the possibility that your girlfriend may say, if you do this with her, our relationship is over, and then you have a choice to make. What's more important, having her or um, continuing to pass on everything that that first amoeba eventually passed on to you uh, and providing your parents with grandchildren? On that front, you say you're going to sign away all your rights, uh, which would include you know, the right to see this child if you ever have a falling out with your a uh, good friend from high school, which would prevent your parents from being involved in this child's life or having any role as grandparents. They legally wouldn't be grandparents if you legally uh, had no claim and weren't legally uh, recognized as the father. 
the girlfriend has kids. Uh, it sounds like you guys have a pretty decent long-term relationship going. Uh, you do need to inform her. If you you know, donate your sperm to this woman and are involved in the life of this child, your girlfriend is sort of going to be uh, drafted and involved in the life of this child as well. And that's a choice that she also gets to make. Um, you just need to tell her everything you've been thinking about. Uh, you had this conversation uh, a year ago. I wouldn't emphasize that you kept it from her all this time. I would just start with my friend and I from high school. I always told her. We sort of laughingly agreed. She asked me actually now if we could do it, and I would like to for these reasons. And not like dwell on the fact that uh, this has been brewing for 12 months and you didn't inform her immediately. And then see what happens. This might mean the end of your relationship again. Up to you. It's worth it if she calls the question. If she says it's me or it's this hypothetical child, then you get to choose. And only you can decide in that circumstance which one you choose. Uh, hey, Dan. I just wanted to give you a call. I just listened to episode 155 with uh, the, the girl who had the, uh, the Christian conservative boyfriend and the issues with uh, you know believing that he, he believed that she was going to hell. And I just wanted to... Uh, comment that she definitely would be in the right not to continue a relationship like that. I was in a really similar situation, and I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back was a really simple question. It's a question that, you know, she should perhaps pose to this, uh, you know, Christian boyfriend of hers. And the question is, uh, you know, believing in heaven and hell, assuming he believes in heaven and hell, uh, and he believes that he is going to go to this mythological heaven, would he be eternally blissful in this heaven, knowing that she would be spending all of her eternity in hell? I know that's a loaded question, but for me, the answer that I got was, yes, I would still be eternally blissful. And, and that was something that, for me, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be with someone who believed in something like that. And, uh, you know, that's not something morally I could ever see myself looking past. Hi, I'm calling in response to uh, the woman who was dating a man who thought she would go to hell. I'd just like to say that if you think someone is going to go to hell, if you really believe in hell, that it exists with eternal torture, uh, you're going to be, be pretty traumatized by someone that you love going to hell. So either, you know, if he acts normal around her and it's okay hanging out with her. Either he doesn't really believe in hell or he's a sadist and he has no problem looking at her, being with her, having a family with her perhaps, and knowing that she's going to be tortured and tormented and raped and whatnot in hell if that's what he believes. So either he's really sadistic and doesn't care about her and doesn't you know, isn't upset and terrified and cry and whatever. Or, you know, he doesn't really believe in hell, and it's just something that, you know, he says that he does. So in either case, you know, she should definitely not be with him anymore. Hi, Dan Savage. I'm calling with some advice for the uh, agnostic girl woman that was um, had a, uh, you know, crazy Christian dude that was like, oh, you're going to go to hell. You're going to go to hell. I love you so much, but you're going to go to hell. Um, I was listening to this when I was walking home from work and I, you know, I was thinking, oh, how sad, you know, that 
that something like that should happen. And I got home and I pulled out my Bible. There's a great little passage in First Corinthians. Um, it's part seven, questions about marriage. I just wanted to say that right here it says, your husband and wife who isn't a follower is made holy by having you as a mate. This also makes your children holy and keeps them from being unclean in God's sight. So I, I hate it when people use the Bible as, you know, a book of rules, you know, and you look for loopholes, but he could hit him over the head with this one. It's right there in the Holy Word. I'm sick and tired of the Holy Scriptures being used to divide people. I, I, I think I think Christians have when we get up to the pearly gates, we're going to have some splaining to do, Lucy. I'm sick and tired of the Holy Scriptures being used to divide people, too. Uh, unfortunately, that's kind of what they're there for. They're people who are chosen and unchosen, people who have the right religion and the wrong religion. There's the revealed truth and there's heresy. You really can't escape the whole Holy Scripture being used to divide people so long as you believe in such a thing as Holy Scripture. You know, if you want Holy Scripture to stop dividing people, you kind of need to do away with the whole concept of Holy Scripture. But, you know, thanks uh, for pointing that out. Who knew that you could literally get fucked into heaven? Apparently it's possible. Uh, I'm on my way then, I hope, because uh, I do remember every once in a while banging a Christ. Not married. Well, actually, I guess I'm kind of fucked. I'm married an atheist. We're going to leave it there for the week. 206-201-2720 is the phone number here at the podcast if you'd like to record a question for a future program. Uh, you download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every damn day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the savage love letter of the day. And me and the tech savvy at risk youth <coughs> bullshit. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. <laughs>